All right, we're Here's recording. <laughs> Put on a hap, hap, happy face. Hap, hap, happy face. Hap, hap, happy face. All right, right on. Let's go. I remember. Because I'm, I'm on the fucking phone. I'm trying. <laughs> Zuckerberg, you can hear me. Fuck you. Fix your app. <laughs> Welcome to another episode. What episode number are we up to? Because last time I thought it was 14, but apparently it was 13 part two. It was 13 for a few hours. Actually, 24 hours. I changed it the next day, so it should be 14 now. 14 now or 15? No, it's 15. You're at 15. <laughs> Welcome to Night Talk Podcast. <laughs> Sorry. I'm doing everything same. Last week it was working. You are. working this week. Get closer to your mic. Talk up, mate. Oh, fuck. Fucking. Excuse my language, guys. Are we recording? It's gonna be. It's gonna be tremendous. It's gonna be the best podcast ever. Welcome to Knife Making Down Under, episode uh, fifteen. Um, as usual, you have Kev Slattery and Mert Tanzu and Corin Urquhart from our respective knife making. Circles, worlds, businesses. Um, today, we're going to talk about stuff. Kev, have you got anything on the show notes? Kev, give us a report and full rundown on the show notes. Uh, my show notes today are a little uh, vaguer than normal. I haven't even written an episode number down. But um, not, nothing on the show notes, but we've got lots of stuff coming up, as we've mentioned a few times uh, although this podcast, depending on what time it goes out, uh, we've got the Canberra show coming up this weekend. Uh, it's it's on Sunday, the, the first Sunday of <coughs> December, and uh, goes from 10 till 3 out at Historic Cup of Cumberland in, in the Harwa region of Canberra. Um, so if the podcast goes out and anyone's listening to it, uh, you haven't heard previously, come out and say day. We're apparently in for a reasonable weather. And although we haven't got a list of knife makers up from from the event host yet, uh, that apparently should be happening in the next couple of days. Uh, have a look at have a look at Facebook, see what's going on. I'll be there. That's the important thing. Um, yeah. So I've been busy in the workshop, uh, knocking out the last of my knives. A funny change that will be occurring this time with my table at the knife show is I'll have more chef knives than I do hunting knives, uh, which just happened to be how, how it turned out. So there's a subtle change in direction occurring at Kev's Forge, and uh, I'm, I'm slowly but surely working through making more kitchen knives and chef knives. So that'll be, that'll be good. to the dark side, man. We're, we're pulling you to the dark side. Yeah. Slowly that, getting out of the hunting that, scene. I'll end up, I had someone say, just don't turn into one of those fucking hermit-type blokes that, um, sits in your workshop making folding knives, and and I'm I'm onto those too. So, kitchen knives, folding knives, and uh, and yeah, dark side of both worlds. Yeah, that's no, just funny how things turned out. Limited time and stuff. Chef knives um, are less time consuming, uh, with especially follow up not having to make sheaths. So what you're saying uh, is so chef knives are heaps easier to make, eh? <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. I've learned what most are onto. Yeah, you know, just build it out, knock an edge on it, and you're done. Call it a chef knife. People will yeah, buy it. Just, just get a get a get a two millimeter sheet, you know, laser cut it, and just ground like a 45 degree edge. Bob is your uncle. Done. That's shallow. Far out. I've been doing like bloody 32 degree edges. No, I'm just kidding, man. Like there's yeah. yes, there's no sheet making in chef knives. I get it. I get it. No, well that's no, you know that's like. Uh, you make 10 uh, hunting knives about the same time it takes to make 10 chef knives, and then you've got to spend two days making sheaths. Well, I do because I do it all manually. You've got to make out. sure you do, them, you do them right-handed, not left-handed sheets this time, oh, right? I know. Oh, I've got a fucking <laughs> 10, 10 fucking left-handed sheets sitting in my bloody leather area staring me down. Uh, stitch them up, yeah. make a pants. Stitch them up, make leather pants, bro. I was going to do them as like ball sack carriers, but they're they're way too large for me. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Keeping it clean for the family, I tell you. That's it. Uh, what have you been up to, Matt? 
Oh, man, no, I was contemplating about coming to Canberra, sure, but, man, it's not easy. Not just the knife-making side. If I go to Canberra, I have to be... I have to be away on Saturday and also Sunday. And my lovely wife, she can't cook for shit to save her life. So I have to prepare all the meals. Okay, I have to prepare all the meals and kids usually go on hunger strike. So I didn't want to be her by herself with the kids for two days and come see my kids like malnourished and starving. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have to, <laughs> I'm going to have to cancel this time. Like, yeah, I see all those motherfuckers posting for the blade. Like, oh, this is my prep for the blade. Blade, I'm making these nice. For the Blade Show, while everybody was making nice, I was preparing meals for my absence. I was cooking rice. I was portioning them in the individual containers. I was making curries and I was writing notes. Don't eat past this date. Like I was, people were in the shed making nice. For knife shows, actually, I'm spending more time in the kitchen making sure there's food at home. Oh fuck! Fair enough. Fair enough. Yep, my fucking heart's bleeding, man. My heart is bleeding. I went away for a couple of days down the coast and, and gave my son his first home alone care for the house duties. And I said, son, there's some quesadillas and other shit in the freezer. I'll see you in three days. Hopefully you'll survive. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he learned a lesson um, that to use the George Foreman sandwich press, that you need to press the button to put time on it to get some heat. Because he chucked his little quesadilla in the thing and he came back 10 minutes later and it was still cold. So he microwaved it. <laughs> versatile, least, the versatile youth of today, mate. At least he didn't leave it on with the heat and come back and burn the fucking kitchen down. Nah, well, it don't, thankfully it only runs for 15 minutes and then shuts off automatically, but you're right. Um, yeah, no, so he's, he's pretty good. He'll, just, he'll go down to fucking McDonald's and eat that shit or KFC and eat that shit. Most of the time before cooking. What are you up to, Corey? Uh, I'm just working on my house, yeah. Just trying to get my renovation finished before Christmas. I've got to get the splash back in, in the kitchen and uh, get some um, dodgy uh, brickwork covered up with some rendering and <coughs> been concreting and putting in a drain and basically nothing at all to do with knife making. But I am going down to knife camp uh, tomorrow, which is Thursday, heading down to knife camp at Thawa Valley Forge, which is the Guild uh, Hammering. And uh, I'm looking forward to that two days before the Canberra show. Hopefully, I'll get to stay for the Canberra show. But actually, it's not very likely. I have some more work, uh, some contractors coming actually on Sunday. And um, that was all they could fit in before Christmas. So I'm going to have to come back up for it. But generally, that's all. And um, project-wise, I've, I've, yeah, it's, it's all been house-related. I won't bore you with it. Fixing door yeah. handles and latches and things like that. Kev, do you notice? Do you notice? Any, do you notice any changes on Corin today, Kev? He looks very clean. Yeah, I'm looking at Corin. He's shaved, full clean. He looks like ten years younger. Yeah, I'm like five and a half years older because I've got a fucking stubbly face. But you know, you look fresh, mate. You look fresh and young. Look at him. He looks cute. Yeah. <laughs> I actually oh, forgot cute. I shaved. I wondered what was different. I'm looking at myself. I'm like, yeah, something's a bit, something's a bit odd. Yeah, I no, think I, he did it because I posted on the Instagram story. I posted a picture of Escobar saying that and also said, I'm going to tell my kids this was corner. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> Never mind. I got six weeks well, off over Christmas, so it'll, it'll all come back quick enough. Wow. Yeah, that happens. Uh, yeah, that knife camp. Um, fuck, last year I missed out, probably for the same reason as this year, that fucking shit's going on, taking up time. And, you know, I was really thinking that I wouldn't have enough product to put on a table at the show, uh, whereas technically I do, but now I've organised other things anyway. Life just gets in the way sometimes. It's fucking 15 minutes down the road for me, and I've failed to make two years in a row. But it should be good. I might try and get to the next one. Plan ahead. I've got 12 months. Yeah, the next big hammer in this uh, after it is the symposium, the Australian Blade Symposium, which is a massive event. All our listeners should be going to that because, um, well, you know, if you're cool, then you should. End of story. Yeah, I think we've got a good lineup of people um, on the list of presenters for that, and we'll, we'll release more as we go through. And I think there's a change, looks like there's a change in the way it's running that we're going to have um, two streams, a beginner stream and a more advanced stream. So 
if you're only new to knife making and you want to get a comprehensive rundown of um, the starting up processes and everything else, you've got a chance to come in and, you know, get a good lead up on what's going on. Um, and if you're more adventurous and a bit more experienced and want to want to learn a bit more of the, you know, complex stuff, uh, there looks like a, a pretty good sort of angle on that side of it too. Yeah. I guess the the hard part's going to be for people to, de to determine what they want to do. My, my view is if you're only fresh into knife making, um, you're not going to miss out by doing the beginner's, screen, beginner's um, stream. Um, you know, because you've got to, you've got to remember, you've got to learn to walk before you, before you run. So, um, yeah, keep, keep your eye out on the um, various Facebook pages. Um, our, our guide on, in charge, Andrew Smith, will be posting up details as they come out. Kev, I think also, like, regardless of the experience, I think it's great if somebody, even their experience, to see how other maker is doing something. But I, I saw, uh, I was, I think it was Keith or your Hamon class. But I've, yeah. done, I've done nice with the Hamons, but when you see a maker doing something, all of a sudden you might get the light bulb moment. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, you can see something different. That happens a lot. I mean, even, even with, you know, me these days, um, I'm still, you know, not a, not a new maker, but still fresh in the big scheme of things compared to some of the people that I've hung around with. Um, and yeah, you just see one little thing and you're like, fuck, that's how they do that. Yeah. Um, take one thing away and, and you've, you know, you've increased your knowledge. Um, I think I'm doing like, oh, fuck, I'm doing like handle design and a couple of other things for, for my streams on it. I'm presenting again on the beginner stream. Um, they come along, I'll entertain you, I'll give you a lot of info. And as usual, if you go to those events and you, you participate in it. Always happy to follow up. Even if you don't participate in it, I'm obviously happy to give people information. So yeah, that's going to be cool. That's that's going to be here before we know it. Um, before that, obviously we've got Perth show in February. Um, if people can get over there, that'd be awesome. I, uh, silly person me, booked a class in that weekend. When I looked at my diary. I was like, no, I've got nothing on that weekend. I'll book a class in. Uh, and then was going to go over and sort of realise I fucked up there, but you get that. Mm. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. No, the symposium's a big highlight. In the it's like a, as much a social event as anything else. You end up with, uh, you know, 100 knife makers camping in a paddock down there at Thawa, um, sitting around their campfires and um, talking shit and drinking and, yeah, it's just a, it's just an all-round good event, and this year we've got a, a pretty special presenter coming in from um, from the USA as well. So I don't know if that's been released yet, Kev. Uh, I don't think it's technically been released because we're still waiting on uh, those guys to get uh, visa approvals. One one has, one hasn't so far. So that we're letting people know that we've got actually got two special guests coming out from the US. I think some people from the from the social media pictures we've sent out have a fair idea who we're lining up, uh, but nothing's set in concrete until those guys have their both of them have their um, visas approved. They've got their passports sorted out. They've got that. They got to get the visas approved, um, which surprisingly enough, uh, when you travel to the US and you just do one of those ESDAs, ESDAs or whatever it is takes fuck all. You can do it and find out five minutes later sometimes. Um, so not sure what the visa process is with those guys coming here, but yeah, very exciting. And that that masterclass when it gets released, or masterclasses, depending how we go, um, that's the week following the symposium. And there's very going to be very limited numbers available for that. So we'll release that and you're going to have to be you know, like trying to get a ticket to see Tool five minutes after they go live, uh, you might miss out. What else is happening in the the Australian knife making scene? What are we What are we looking at creating and doing? I mean, we talked about Adelaide. With the Knife Art Association's graciously uh, accepted an offer from Peter Ball to take on the Adelaide, and we're we're just getting the last suss out of a venue there, which is going to be hopefully get the nod, and we'll be very excited about that. That's that's going to be big big time 
big change down there. Um, Sydney show, geez, that's fucking not far away. Like August, August will be here before we know it. Um, and again, that's that's looking at being a, a, another massive show. There's a um, guild guild show in May. Guild show in May, yep, down in Melbourne. And then uh, I'll be probably all things going to plan, which it's still probably fifty one forty nine at the moment. All things going to plan. I'm going to be heading over to the US again for Blade Show and a bit of a tour around, check out some hammer-ins and some other bits and pieces over there. Um, see see how the guys over there are doing it. Now, hammering over in America is more like what we call our symposium over here. And the cool thing about it, the one I went to last year, uh, apart from the fact that in the US with their broad base of mastersmiths, we had like a dozen mastersmiths there presenting, plus a couple of internationals. Um, it's a very small event, like there's 30, 30 people um, in attendance. Um, so you get a, you get, I don't know, it, it was just a. Um, That's more like cool. an invita invitational, isn't it? Yeah, and it's kind of a cool feeling. Like we, we had, uh, it was at Rick Dunkley, uh, Rick Dunkley's place in Montana. He just built a new workshop, four car garage size workshop, I guess. Plus he had his previous one, which was about the same size as mine. So you're looking at one and a half car, five by seven meters. Um, and we had the two streams running in those rooms with the 30 people, and it was fantastic. Like I have to say, it was it was awesome. So that's something I think the Knife Art Association uh, we're looking at ways of exploring um, how we can get out to different areas. So it's not hosted either in Sydney or Canberra like it is at the moment, but we can take things on the road. Smaller smaller numbers at a smaller workshop and i've seen with rick's it works well like it you didn't feel left out going fuck i wish there was two more workshops for these guys to talk in or anything like that it was really sort of cozy cozy atmosphere um and with 30 people um the social side of it was just really cool as well like you you weren't looking across going fuck i haven't talked to that person yet um uh, less less numbers to get around to so socially it was quite cool so i'd be keen if i can to Depending on what I get up to, if I get over, if I get over there, and then the travels I do, I'd be keen to suss out uh, one other one that's going on this year. Uh, sorry, next year, um, it'll be a similar sort of format. So I'm, I'm keen to see how we go with, like I said, less less usable space and less people, and still do people still get the value out of the content? Interesting, interesting. There. So at, at that um, at that hammering was that that was obviously not hands on then it was just like instructional like a symposium style format. Yeah, no hands on. Um, it was just instructional, um, and yeah, like I said, it was just really good. We had uh, like bleacher chairs um, in the workshop, so people just sort of sat there at, at the different levels. Um, people took notes. People took photos. You know, you're able to hit the master smith up um, directly in front of you with questions if you needed them and they'd stop and take a break and do stuff. Um, the schedule sometimes uh, continued. Bill Burke was doing a, a nice demonstration on um, Mosaic Damascus and I think the power hammer wasn't hitting that hard so he had to do most of it with the press which meant that the time that he took to do that demo continued but you know we just hung around or we did it after hours so like technically the day had closed and we fired the forge back up and everyone that wanted to see the next part of that process just went and watched while we were sitting back having a few whiskeys and, you know, a laugh. Yeah, no, it's always, yeah. Good. It's always good when the forges get fired up after hours at events like that. And yeah, standing, oh, yeah. You know, half the pet crowd's standing there having a drink and some of them are taking it seriously and obviously not drinking and demonstrating, but um, it just goes on into the night. It's a full party. Yeah, Bill forged out a small hunting knife just because, you know, there was a piece of steel there and he's like, oh, I'll forge this out. And, you know, you see these guys and, you know, you can't help, you, you got to admire what they do, but you, when you actually see these guys swinging a hammer and knocking out a knife that's probably like 98% to fucking shape in every fucking aspect, you're just like, fuck yeah, I've got so much to learn. And, and just the ease that they do it. And these are the guys that obviously, they've been making knives for 
fucking like a long, long time, obviously, and they're at the top of their their levels. But yeah, when you you see the photos and everything they do, and you're like, fuck yeah, that's cool work. When you actually see them put together or forge a knife out, you're like, fuck yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. So you get that opportunity. The skill. I mean, like I said, not not being hands on didn't matter a rat's ass. There was so much information to take in that I, you know, I couldn't see the benefit. If they said, here, grab a hammer and have a go, I wouldn't have seen any benefit in doing that. I was just, you know, just fucking, like, you know, a dozen master smiths. It didn't matter which way you looked, there was someone there with fucking more information than you could possibly ever absorb. So so we might not have that calibre of uh, maker in terms, obviously, the master smith side if we run similar things in Australia, but we've still got a really good, broad knowledge base of excellent makers here. So I reckon we could... We could compete on our level, I reckon. I think it'd be a good idea. Yeah. What have you been up to, Mert? Uh, I'm up to... Oh, I decided to also partake the Damas Steel uh, Chef Invitational this year. Ah. It's going to be held in held in Chicago two weeks before the Blade Show. I'm, but still, I'm, also I'm still, doing... still waiting for my invitation. So, yeah, you've Me got too. yours already. So, it's two weeks before the Blade Show. I've committed them both. So that means I have to have enough knives for both of the shows. So you I'm know what that a, you know what that also means, Matt? What? You've got to have at least one month supply of food for your family prepared. <laughs> no, I'm bring, I'm bringing family with me. It's easy. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so you 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 used to live in Atlanta, though, didn't you? I worked in Atlanta. I, I live nearby. So oh yeah, basically. So that's I right. So you have you've got family and stuff, family and friends over there that you can, you know, take advantage of catching up with those guys, can't you? Yeah. For example, um, my wife's cousin. She lived with us. She was like our nanny, like, and I li- I stay with their house when I go to a blade. So instead of staying at the hotel, I, I'm like five minutes away from it. But yeah, we have still family members there. Yeah, I nice. still have friends over there. Still have yeah, friends. That's cool. Yeah, I still have fr- I still have friends that they live in US. Thank you. Ben pals. Thank you. Ben pals. <laughs> so um, you not, know, not- you know, we we got the request. We got a request. You know, every every episode, this Kevin, this this dickhead, comes up with the smart thing, like picks on me, and I say, "Fuck you, Kevin." And somebody said, "We should get it. We should get that T-shirt. We should turn it into a T-shirt or like a meme or something." <laughs> I, I get it. Uh, now I see why. Oh, come on, mate. I thought that it's was me. And Kev got the blame. I don't know how that happened. Well, I'm good with it. Not... Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Did you put the suggestion in, Goran? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Use my alias. Yeah, using your fucking pseudonym. We, we do need a T-shirt. Um, so... we've, just, we've just released uh, three or four new ones for Gamaco and just printed one for the Guild for the Knife Camp. Why don't we have a Knife Making Down Under T-shirt? What, what's going on there? Oh, no. I'm, wearing, I'm wearing my uh, Sausage Man Forge merch today. Oh, Gimli. Oh, no, Gimli on me. Oh, who wants a sausage? Who wants me sausage? <laughs> no, he just, Kev just got up and like doing the Sausage Man dance. I don't know what that was, but. <laughs> it was interesting. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, no, we'll, we'll uh, have a think about that. Um, we don't want it to be tacky like the fucking Gamakawa knife camp shirt, so we want it to be fucking cool. Yeah, well, we need somebody what? smart to design it. We, you know, we've got to piss well, with the dick we got, up. you know. Okay, how, about people send, how about people send us their designs? Yeah. That could happen. And we can just like yeah. have, just give us free license to use them and we'll give you a cut in as much as if we use your design, we will definitely say thank you and send you a shirt. You'll get a T-shirt, yeah. yeah you'll get a T-shirt. <laughs> sign the t-shirt we'll sign it will you you're getting too will carried you? away Mert Mert might sign <laughs> Mert, Mert will put his DNA on the t-shirt for you <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Poor I'm ready Mert. to hear another fuck you Kev <laughs> he's thinking it look at him he's thinking it <laughs> Kev fuck you <laughs> <laughs> Hey, not like given to like a stand-up comedian. You have to you have to do the timing right. Yeah. Like, what happened? Fuck you. Yeah. 
Um, not wanting to give too much away, but have you got a plan for your Damasteel knife, apart from making it out of Damasteel? Uh, look, I haven't, I haven't even thought about it because I have to, I have to allocate, let's say, six, eight knives for Damasteel, and I also have to have enough knives for the blade show. And basically, I'm going to see what I have half prepared, what I think I can get done. Oh, I also have to think about this. Like, I cannot deplete all the stuff that I have in works and come back because two weeks, two um, two months after that is going to be Sydney show. Usually, leading up to oh, shows, fuck yeah. yeah. Usually, leading up to shows, like I have stuff almost ready. So, like, if if I had decided to do the camera show, I had five six blades already hand sanded, finished, just waiting for handles. So by the time this before leaving for the blade show and the Damage Invitational, I have to have so much stuff done. So it's going to be like whatever I can get done. I don't have any plan right now. I'm thinking like I'm, I'm doing something crazy. Hopefully I can pull it off. Yeah. I mean, when I came back, I, I got to spend a bit more time in the States after um, Blade Show. So when I come back, well, if my plans, if travel plans work next year, I'm going to come back with honestly about 10 days before the Sydney show. And so I've got to do the same thing. I've got to plan knives to take to blade and then also make, you know, at least probably another 10 knives that I can then have just ready to go when I come home, take to Sydney, done. Yeah. So, fuck, yeah. Now I'm thinking about it. That's just a fucking crazy thing. So anyway, listening, um, yeah, life just gets fucking messed up when you're taking on knife making and you're trying to be serious and do it sort of as a full-time gig. It can get fucking kind of crazy before you realise it. Did you uh, did you change your plans? Are you going to have a table? At, I thought you weren't having a table at Blade. Oh, you know, I change my fucking mind every five minutes, mate. Um, I, I don't want to be sort of putting myself on the radar to get in the shit, but um, I've just been graciously offered a portion of a person's table for the last couple of times. So technically I haven't held a table. I've just been given an opportunity to show my knives. So... I think I missed the boat on getting an actual table, so I might schmooze in on, uh, you know, a little bit of showtime. Um, but last year, I've just got to, I've just got to manage what I take over. I think, and like I said, just with the lead up to Sydney being so short, when I get back, um, I just have to manage that a bit better. I get, you know, everyone, they see my posts. Oh, Kev, you're a machine. I'm, I'm fucking partially insane when I do those big bulk tasks where I have you know, 15 knives on the go. I might be a machine, but I need some fine-tuning on my processes to get things a bit more efficient than they are, which is still reasonably efficient. So I think it's just that, let's say that foreplanning go, yeah, fuck, I have reality check. 10 days between home from the US and going to Sydney. Sort shit out faster. <laughs> sort shit out in advance. Start now. <laughs> well, a lot of things that, and a lot of the times... What people don't realize is like you have to you have to build up things. People like people have the understanding. Oh, he's a custom knife maker. He makes one knife a week, two knives a week, and that's it. Like, if you work like that, which I tried, you'll be out of business very fast because it's not a sustainable model. I find myself forging every Monday if it's possible. If the weather is permitting, and if my health is permitting, I try to forge every Monday, and I usually forge like six to eight knives Monday. Two or three of them might be customs, and the rest might be like, as you said, there's a steel, I need to forge it. I need to forge it to something that I know it's going to be easier to sell versus making a small paring knife. So I I will say, like, at the end of every week, I'll have six to eight heat-treated knives in my drawer. So when I decide I want to go to a show, most of the time I'm starting with something that's already forged to shape, already hardened. And in some cases, I also go one more step I grind them, I leave it at the disc stage. So by the time I'm finishing a knife for a custom, and I also another finished blade, so one custom is out of the way, and another blade is wrapped up only needs the handle. So that's the only way to make it. That's what I feel like. Otherwise, if you're trying to make like just one, focus on that one, and if something goes wrong, you're like, oh shit, I have no backup. I'm fucked, yeah. I have no backup, nothing. I've, I've got about 10... I'd say probably 10 blades for hunting knives in the drawer wrapped up, just need a final pass with the sander and then guards and stuff as well. But I'll probably do the guards soon. 
like at least get my slots prepared um, and then have them sit in the draw for a while. And then the same, that's exactly what happened last year with Sydney. Uh, I got home, limited time between America and Sydney show, but I had, yeah, 10 knives at 600 grit that just needed final touches. So if you don't have that, I, beer rad, Brad, Brad Heathcote, um, every time he comes around to my workshop, he looks like at what I've got on the bench and in the drawers and stuff. And he's like, fuck man, you're crazy. You got so many knives on the go. And it's like, just as you said, Matt, it's like they're not necessarily on the go. They're just there at various stages in preparation. So if someone does call up and say, oh, I want a 20-centimetre um, chef knife and most people don't give you lead time, oh, I need it for a birthday party in two weeks, open up the drawer and look in and go, fuck yeah, there's a 20-centimetre chef. I can do it. Another part of that is like we got we started on so much shit but didn't finish. So I like, got carried away or lost interest or you forget it like i'm looking at the drawer like oh this knife i forged it two years ago i meant to take it to my first blade there's another knife on my uh, chest my tool chest that is meant to be for this blade i still haven't touched it i was trying to rush it to blade didn't happen but i'm thinking man if i don't take this to this year's blade i'm going to be so fucking angry because the more i see that <laughs> stuff i'm thinking like it's been two years. Why don't you get your shit done? Like somebody contacted me saying, you, you're making an integral 52-100 Yanagiba. What happened? I'm like, oh, I never got around it. Just sitting sitting there. Yeah. And I te- when I teach the classes, I do a demo knife similar to what the students are making. I do a demo knife. So I forge a knife out. I'll grind, partially grind that knife, profile it, partially grind it. And sometimes I get a knife in those classes if the students are pretty good with the tools and I've just got to, you know, keep a distant eye on what they're doing, I can actually get my knife up to heat treating stage quite quickly. And then I'll I'll have that knife there and you know, heat treat their knives. Oh, well, what's the, pro- what's the problem with doing one more? So I do one more knife uh, and I, like I said, put it in the drawer. And then I go back and open that drawer and go, fuck, I didn't realize I had 25 fucking half done knives. <laughs> and you just fucking get onto it. But, yeah, it works all right. And I don't have a static design. Like, I don't have, you know, three or four specific shapes that I work on and create and produce. I, I have fucking – I just make knives that I want to make a shape. I get a shape in mind, and there's similar styles in a lot of the stuff I do, but occasionally I just go, fuck it, I want to try something different. And I just forge out a different knife, and if I grind it, and they'll go, yeah, I don't know about that, chuck it in the drawer and come back with a critical eye later. And, you know, if it looks like it'll work, I'll continue. If not, I'll grind a bit off. It's the easiest way about it. It takes me so long to make each knife that um, it's kind of pointless even having that discussion, guys. I'm out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you, you've got your, your tray of your smaller pieces of steel and stuff for your, for your blades sitting there anyway. And, like, you know, it's a different process. Um, and obviously, like, for you, it's more of a – or it is a, a, a hobby – uh, whereas like us, we're sort of looking at it going, fuck, if you, every customer you say no to, that customer's potentially going elsewhere. Um, and, and at times, it's funny because at times I've had people contact me and go, oh, you know, I want a knife of a particular style. And I just go, fuck, I don't make that. And I literally tell the person, sorry, I don't make that, but this person does. And you might send them off to another maker um, because, you know, they make that style of knife and, and I don't, and I don't particularly want to make everything. It, it was a very big struggle for me when I first started out to say no to people. Yeah, yeah. Hey, mate, can you make me this? Yeah, sure. And then all those yeah, sure's or no worries, mate, you open up your order book or go online and have a look at your spreadsheet and you're like, oh, fuck. I, I've bitten off more than I can chew. And then you spend those 12, 14-hour days in your workshop working your ass off to get up to speed and, and you'll soon lose that love of what you're doing if you're, you know, out of that environment where you've just got to fucking be there regardless. Uh, you want it, you still want it to be a fun thing if you can help it. Yeah, fair call, fair call. If your computer skills are grey and lacklustre, much like Mert Tansu's, then maybe you should opt for pewter grey kydex and stick to making something that doesn't require a lot of technical aptitude. Pewter grey kydex on sale at Gamaco now. Use the code knifemaking10 or whatever it is. 
we'll tell you. Goodbye. Have we got any viewer questions this week? Uh, I haven't seen any. I got told off by fucking, um, what's he said, Heartland Forge because I brushed his question <laughs> last time. Which one was he? The, well, the... He was the one about Damastil or Takapu. Oh, yeah, right. And I snubbed him and he got upset. So suck O, mate. Suck O, Richard. Yeah, well, you get another mention. He was happy that he, he's, he got another mention, you see. So now he gets another mention. Um, he's still got to work out how to hand, hand sand shit properly, though. Remember that, mate. Do we get anything on Instagram? Yeah, look, I've I gotten somebody. Um, Stan, Stan, he asked about the, about the anvils. But honestly, experience with the anvils and their patterns... I think Bruce Bruce Bamish might be the best person to talk about the animals or maybe, maybe Matthew Mewburn because those guys are they're blacksmiths and they're into animals a lot more than us knife knife makers. Oh, if you let's want, get Spewbum. Yeah, let's get Spewbum on here at one stage, eh? Yeah, I, I was talking What's to him that? this morning. Should have asked him. We'll line we'll line Matty Mewburn up. Uh, I know Bruce is about to do some travel overseas, um, so if Bruce hears this through any means, we're not snubbing you, mate. We just understand you're about to head overseas, so we'll. We might get Matty Spewbum on here and uh, get him to talk about different anvils and stuff and um, tell tales of his adventures in blacksmithing around the world as he's done a bit of travel also. That'd be pretty cool. Um, I saw a... Skinny bastard. Yeah, skinny bastard. I'm looking at the pictures from the first symposium. I look okay, Matthew Mewburn's skinny. Next symposium, I'm a bit chubbier. He's fucking sane. The symposium after that, I swell up a little bit. This motherfucker still looks skinny as. And last year, like I, I'm at the blade, I look like a fucking the symbol of Michelin tires, like I mean the white thing. This motherfucker still looks the same. Well, he's he's yeah. secret. Skinny. He, I know he's secret anyway. It's um, it's uh, he's the the exercise app he's got. What's it called? Tinder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was about grinder, to say. Grinder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's gr- yeah. he's, gr- he's on a grinder as a blacksmith. Gonna... He doesn't want to admit it. <laughs> and and not, not sort of putting him out there in the world as just being a dirty slut of a bloke, but he's I'm pretty sure slut. he's got come a... On, come on, let's be... <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's got to eat about 97,000 calories to sustain his uh, activities. <laughs> I think you're probably right. We're just, we're just all old fucking married men. Living vicariously through our skinny fucking mate down at Everly Works there. <laughs> Good on him. Good on him. On on the subject uh, I, on the subject of anvils real quickly. Um yeah. uh, as a knife maker, uh, knife makers have been using forever. Knife makers have been using basically stump anvils or post anvils. So originally, like thousands of years ago, it was just a simple steel, almost like a hammerhead that was sharpened at one end and driven into a piece of wood. And um, and that was that was the anvil. So you know you can get really fussy about it. We can talk about German. We can talk about English pattern. We can talk about everything. But at the end of the day, for most knife makers' purpose, uh, it's a post anvil is more than sufficient. And um, it's nice just to have something else like a bit of forklift time or something for straightening. But typically, a post anvil is more than enough for a knife maker. We don't really use anything else typically. And takes very less takes very less uh, room in your too. footstep hmm. is a lot smaller compared to the anvil. And Will yeah. Morrison, the, this talented guy in, I think he's based in Victoria, right? He uses post anvil for everything. Yep. 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 He, he treated it himself. We we actually sell pieces of 1045 that you can make a post anvil out of, and it's pretty cheap, you know. So. Speaking of heat treatment, Corin, do you remember a few years ago, uh, the Rosiers they lost their shop. <laughs> that's the funniest video in the world where he reheat treated the anvil yeah yeah, yeah. you want to talk that, about that, that, I remember that, that video one. that, that was video a good fucking video. broke the internet you tell him for about those it. who don't know for those who don't know Haley and adam adam they lost their shop like they had a fire and they lost their home and their shop and during this fire two of the animals they had obviously got softened and ill due to the fires so they live in Alaska. What they've done is right next to the river or sea, or I don't, I don't know what, what the water was, they did a big fire and they had the animals glowing red. And you see all of a sudden a crane or excavator or something that quenches, 
quenches in the water and pulls it out like perfect quenching too. Like dunks it, goes like moves like forward and backwards and pulls it back in. Like that video broke the internet. Ah, that was awesome. Yeah, that was. That was unreal. <laughs> the excavator swinging from the fire to the ocean with this this movement that was like a medieval mace uh, with a red hot hundred kilo anvil on the end of it. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty special. Good technique. Yeah, fucking nice. But the other the other one was Paul Florence's video where he heat treated oh. <laughs> a post anvil and um, caber tossed it into the quench. <laughs> Which was, <laughs> which was pretty cool. That 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 video was like either going to be successful, or you'll be seeing that video on Aussie Man reviews. Ah, David Paul tried to hit that anvil. Ah, fuck! He burned everything. Ah, he cut himself. Yeah, but hit treating an anvil is not for everyone. Look, in terms of styles, I really don't think it. I don't think it matters that much. My my post anvil is my favorite anvil in the shop, just for the fact that it doesn't take up so much room and it's quieter. So, yeah. You guys start yeah. selling them, Corn. You, you guys start selling those uh, ten forty-five for the post anvil. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Artisan Supplies have them on the website. They're um, um, they're not that expensive considering they how much steel is there. Yeah. Yeah, they they're actually really good value. Um, I've I've passed that detail on to a couple of former students. Uh, that as you're saying, they've got uh two by two 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 by two meter space. To work in, and like I, yeah, there's nothing wrong with them. Like I said, the only thing is, if you need to flatten something out, it can be a little more difficult. But you'll just learn learn that technique, hammer better. Yeah, it'll be. Oh, I've got a old um, uh, it was an elevator shaft axle thing in my workshop that someone gave me, and it's about uh, I don't know, two hundred uh, one fifty mil diameter or something maybe a bit more and it's only bloody two feet in length but that thing fucking weighs a ton and i'm going to do the same thing i'm just going to make it up as a post anvil for for the classes and stuff i'll probably end up using it more often than not i never heat treated mine i just um i just plonked it in a pipe full of sand and packed the sand around it got it to the right height and just left it and it's top to be honest it dents pretty easy but it works really well and um, it's like just get the flapper disc on an angle grinder and clean it off. And it's not, I'm not worrying about like a precious, you know, $1,600 anvil. It's, um, it's just a piece of steel in a pipe. It's, it's great. Yeah. 1600 that's, that's not generous, man. When you talk about used anvil, you got to say like three to $5,000. Best offer. Yeah, right. Fair enough. <laughs> it is always worth oh, yeah. remembering you can buy a really good German pattern, 110 kilo anvil for about 1650. You can get an English pattern, Chinese one, pretty cheap. Uh, just make sure you get a good one, and like, whatevs. You know, you don't have to. You have to spend a fair bit of money on an anvil to get a, something decent, but <clears throat> you know they're the biggest tool you're ever going to buy, and it's probably the tool that's going to last the longest in your shop, no matter what happens. Yeah. When I, was, I went down the coast last week for a couple of days with my wife just for we both needed a break um, and we stayed at a, a friend's place and they had this fucking six car garage it was awesome awesome place we were expecting a shack and we rock up to this two story fucking beautiful home with a six car garage and you know so I had to go up and suss the garage he said just go and use the bikes or whatever so I opened up the garage just to check it out and straight, the first thing I notice is this fucking anvil on the ground next to me, you know, tucked in a corner. <laughs> so I say to Rogue, my wife, I'm like, uh, just text him, is the anvil for sale? you got to fucking ask. But this anvil was really weird. And I sent a picture, speaking of Bruce Beamish, I, I sent him a picture um, saying, you know, have you ever seen one like this? And I thought it had a hole, like under the deck in the, in the guts of the anvil, it had a hole that went all the way through. So... I've never seen one like it. I don't know. And Bruce hadn't seen one, so he was going to uh, pass the picture around and, um, and and see what he could find out about it. Like a round the hole end, or a square hole? Yeah, no, a round hole, probably uh, maybe 80 mil diameter or something. Like, it was a big hole. Uh, well, but this is a... Like, yeah. I didn't get the markings, but it was an ancient anvil, fucking, like, solid, solid anvil. There was nothing there to hit it with to see if I could get a to see if it would like dull ring or something 
But the answer I got back was a fairly solid, not for sale, it's a family heirloom. Yeah. And I just said to Rowan, we'll just try again in another another three months. We'll hit him up again, yeah, hit him up again. Yeah. Just wear him down bit by bit. Yeah, wouldn't you like to see it go to a good home where it'll get used? Oh, I'll look after it. Yeah. yeah. I'll try. It had, been re- it had been refinished on the top. Like, you could see where it had been a couple of, re- like, really well done repairs, but it, it was a fucking clean anvil. I was like, man, you bastards. Oh. That's just teasing. Six-car garage with no, like, just fucking heaps of room for a start was envy. And then seeing this anvil there was just like, man, you're killing me. But... Did you guys buy your anvils? Do you guys have any stories behind yours? Uh, I got mine here in Canberra. There was a guy who, I don't think he makes them anymore. I think his name was Greg Geet. And he was like Stepto and Son. You go go to his house. He's in a really nice suburb in Canberra. Every house in the street was beautiful. Then you you know you're getting close to Greg's because there were like power hammer frames out the front under tarps and just shit everywhere. But he sold these cast steel anvils. And you got an anvil and two hammers for like 50 kilo anvil was, I think, 500 bucks with two hammers. And I was like, fuck, you can't go wrong with that. And I have to say, I don't think he does it anymore, which is a real shame because that anvil is just fucking unreal. Um, barely a mark on it. I got my other one, which was a cheaper 50 kilo. Not as hard. It, it's copped a bit of a flogging already. Um, but yeah, the first one I bought was just fucking unreal. But you know, I wouldn't. I'd buy a new. I, I honestly, these days you've got enough options between like Bruce and Gamico and um, other other people around that I see selling these things. You've got options. So, fuck paying three thousand dollars for a a rusted old piece of shit on someone's front yard. Go and buy something brand new. Yeah, when I yeah, got, I got. What'd you get, mate? But. I got no one from Waterside Metal Arts. Yeah, I got one of them too. They're based, yeah, seventy-five kilo German pattern. Yeah. And funny thing is, it's made in Turkey. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, should should have gotten that shit direct. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I got my first anvil from um, the back shed here. My father was down at an auction, um, clearance sale years and years and years ago, back in the eighties when you couldn't give anvils away, and he paid thirty bucks for it, so about one hundred and twenty kilos. And the other one was a, a thirty shot. bucks. Yeah, yeah. thirty. Yeah, fuck man. That. <laughs> and but that's nineteen eighties. You know, back when blacksmithing had all the stuff had been sitting around for thirty years, and everybody was sick of it, and it was all scrap basically. Um, the other one I got was uh, a guy came in and we had a conversation about a knife making, and he said, "Oh, well, if you're going to use it, I'll give you an anvil." And gave me a hundred and fifty kilo BK anvil for which I gave him a knife later on. But he gave it to me freely, so one of my customers. So that was um, pretty special. Doesn't happen all the time, but nice when it does. And I've got a little 50 kilo um, canker, which is the waterside metal art, and I've got the post anvil. So yeah. Well, actually, the one I got from the waterside metal art is my second anvil. My first anvil, which is a huge mistake. Don't do it, guys. I end up buying an anvil shaped object from Bunnings. Oh, right. Those ten kilo, those ten kilo anvils, is yeah, it's, it's shit. There's no mess in it. The top side is soft. The horn, the part of the horn broke. It's it's the worst seventy or eighty bucks I spent. It's shit. Don't do it, guys. You're better off buying a forklift tine, railroad track, anything. Post anvil. Don't ever say that. Railroad track. Fuck me. Come on. It's better than the bunning shit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, I agree mar- with that. Marginally, marginally, yeah. <laughs> or the- I got a, <laughs> I got, a, I got some forklift time there too. So I'm, I've been thinking about making a striking anvil, but yeah, I think I'm probably just being a bit excessive. Bunnings Picton, it's only so much I need. Well, what are you going to do, strike? What do you need to strike an anvil for, Colin? Are you making tools? Are you making yeah. hammers? Are you yeah, making? Yeah, yeah, I make. I probably do as m- more of that actually every year than I do of knife making because normally make a few hammers, a couple of pairs of tongs and help people like I'm doing at the moment for a couple of friends. We're just doing the tools to make tools sort of yeah. my take on the Brian Brazil thing, which is, um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I probably do. I probably do not wanting to, but I probably do more of that than I do knife making. So Tools making tools. 
<laughs> Did you ever see my cable Damascus hammer? Tools making tools. Yeah, nope. that's me. <laughs> tools, tools making tools. That, that's a perfect T-shirt theme. <laughs> tools. Not making down under. Tools, tools making, making tools. <laughs> there you go. Someone can come up with a design around that. Go nuts. Yeah. So. Go nuts. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking idiots. <laughs> you started it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, uh, pretty good. Pretty good. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know what else to say, really. I, uh, that's, my t- that's my take on Anvils. I'm yeah, like, like I said, there's, there's a few blokes selling them at the moment. Um, and they look to be reasonably good quality and stuff on them. So, yeah, Blair Walker um, is one of them. Obviously, I was trying to remember. Blair, yeah, Blair was selling the what are the fucking Cutler's anvil or something? Yeah. Weird looking shape, but good. Same thing, small. Yeah. Small, solid fucking block of steel. That's all you need. Go to a steel, go to a steel scrapyard and buy a fucking square of steel with a flat surface and use it. And I believe it's just got to be big enough. I believe Bruce Beamish is about to release a whole bunch of new sizes and stuff down the track as well. So he's been doing the 110 kilo anvil and um, oh, he's going to bring out a, two, a 250 and a, and a, Fuck. yeah, I know I've already ordered one. I can't, I don't know what I'm fucking going to yeah, do with it. I just feel, I just feel fucking like, you know, the biggest bloke with the smallest hammer shit that I'll never fucking live down. I reckon I'm going to go, um, I'll get a 250 and just put it out in the garden as garden as a bit of yard art. Yeah, I've ordered a forty kilo. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> no forty kilo amble. But the forty. So, so, so you can take a picture of yourself. So you feel like I'm so huge. Yeah, I'll hold it. I'll hold it out in front of me above my head, so it looks like a two hundred and fifty kilo. That's what you want. Fucking amble. Oh, I'll be like, oh, I'm so strong. Those for, my my um, waterside ones are fifty, and anything forty to fifty is real easy to carry. So they're really good for taking the demos and stuff. Yeah, uh, I just wanted it for the workshop. Same thing. Um, I'm going to replace the the cheaper 50 kilo Chinese one I bought, which is yeah, you know, done its job. It's not a bad anvil, but I when Bruce put up the option for those 40s, it was like perfect size for the workshop. I can move them around easy. Yep. So I can you know, bang on. Kick it out of the way. I tell you what, whatever. So any anvil with a horn though. Um, it's like a tow bar on a car, like getting your shins. Those fucking horns, if you run into them. Oh yeah. yeah, bad news. So another another good selling feature of a um, of <laughs> of a post anvil. You know, like when I there are a couple Instagram pages and they're like the guys who buy and sell old old blacksmithing stuff. They're based in US. Like when I look at their page, I guess uh, envy like they're selling anvils like for four hundred bucks or selling little giants for like thousand bucks, fifteen hundred bucks. They got all the stuff available there. Yeah, it's a little bit um. What shit, really, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's it's not that. Like, there's, I they they had more tools. The bigger yeah. country, a lot more population, and they had so much more tools, and they got all phased out, phased out, and there's so many of them. Versus, how many power hammers are in Australia? Yeah, well, I reckon. Bruce, oh, okay. I reckon Anyang Australia have brought in more hammers into Australia than there probably ever were. In, in you know what yeah. I mean, like. I don't know, but and, there's, there's just not that many. And one thing that well, people don't realize with the power hammers and things like that is it's not a stuff that you can just order online and it'll be on your door tomorrow. Like you're not buying a – like buying a steel is easy. You just click on the thing, artisan supplies, click on it, or put it on your shopping cart. It'll come there next day or so. But with the power hammer, it's like car. It's not – it's like a buying a used car. It's not always available. Okay, the person who's selling it might change his mind. The closest one to you might be 500Ks away. Yeah, true. And it's always cheaper to buy a really big one. Yeah. Because to put in a big one, most people can't use them. And to put in the foundations costs many times as much as the hammer normally, depending on you know, how much you pay. But yeah, the foundations for those big hammers can be can be two or three metres deep, solid concrete. So that adds up pretty quick. Yeah, my absolutely. 25 is the limit of what I could take it back to my shed. Corn, you haven't seen my shed, but like it comes down a little bit of hill. And when Kev saw it, where the hammer is, like he's, he's thinking, how the hell do you get it here? How'd you do it? 
a friend of ours, uh, uh, he has a catered, he has a hire company for catering goods. Prestige, I give them a shout out here. So he had these little forklifts. They have the off-road forklifts. Uh, and, instead, and instead of having the folks at the front, this thing is coming like from the back. Like it has like the scorpion sting kind of thing. Like it, it can... It can like pretty much pinpoint and put it there. So he ended up taking it on the on his forklift, the off-road forklift, and take it all the way down. Then he managed to get it just in the shed. Then I put on, you know, like I got some steel bars and I rolled it on steel bars and put it in the corner. Fuck, that was an effort, man. That was an effort. I found the hardest thing about mine was getting it off that frame that it came on. Oh yeah, that frame like, <laughs> like you thinking you're just gonna open it and use it. Fuck no, you're not. I I was jacking stuff up and putting blocks of wood and shifting shit around and it was like the the full puzzle getting that frame out from under it. But um, I actually did the same thing. I had a mate with a four wheel drive forklift, the one of those ones that goes on the back of a brick truck, and yeah, um, yeah he got mine in for me. So that was that was pretty handy. How about you, Kev? You're yeah. pretty straightforward off the street there, aren't you? He's strong. Uh, he's carried it. Yeah, I just fucking chucked it onto my arm. It's only a 15 kilo oh. and yang. So, the the first time uh, I was on ground level in my um, car garage, and then I built the other workshop. And we had to get it up there, and I called on the help of a big group of local camera fellas, and we put it on a fucking um, pallet jack, trolley jack thing, rolled it up the fucking footpath across a fucking dirt fucking path. And then over, I think I had a piece of old stainless steel that we made a makeshift ramp out of to get it into the new workshop. And the whole time along, I'm like, if this thing falls over and breaks, I'm fucked. But we're like, no, no, just keep pushing, keep pushing. It's fucking, you know, wobbling. Yeah, sure, you're right, mate. Wobbling left and right, just go, oh, fuck, it's going to fall over. I think I told the story about how mine fell off the truck, didn't I? Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Sydney got fucking 20 mil of rain that... Oh, they thought it was rain, but it was just Corrin's fucking tears. It was tears. Just tears. <laughs> it wasn't even mine, so it was all right. But anyway. Ah, now, uh, speaking of equipment and machinery and shit, I fucking got a rolling mill on the way. No, suck no, no, suck you, you don't have. You don't have to sell me yours anymore, Corrin. No, it's I all had good, it mate. there sitting there. It wasn't being used. Oh, no. well, I'll sell it to you for 50 bucks, but now that you don't need it, it's all good. What you got? Yeah. Um, I got a fucking beamish one. Oh, yeah, same as mine. Mine's a beamish one, too. Yeah. yeah. Is yours a new beamish um, one? Yeah. A new one? Is he doing another run? No. It's just new. I was, talk- I was talking to him, and uh, I was talking to another fella who was um, apparently going to be a recipient of his uh, rolling mill. Um, it was actually uh, Ryan, Ryan Doodle over in South Australia. Oh, yeah. Ryan yeah, Dowling, Ryan, Ryan. <laughs> but anyway, keep going. Ryan, Ryan's son plays rugby. He's really good at rugby. And rugby in South Australia is not like not everyone talks about rugby. They're all fucking Aussie rules. So I, I quite often chat to Ryan about rugby because my son played for a few years. Um, and I was chatting to him about that. And he's doing a hammering over um, at his place. And he's got all these good fucking grand plans going, which I'll, we'll talk about at some stage and try and get him some assistance, I think. Um, and just in the conversation, I'm like, oh, yeah, you lucky bastard, you've got that fucking rolling mill. And he was like, what rolling mill? No, I, I, I don't have that. And he put a deposit and then through, uh, like, paying for his son to go to rugby is one of the primary costs. He sort of put the deposit down and then just was saying he just couldn't afford it. So he got in touch with Bruce and said, fuck, um, sell it to Kev. So I, I was like, bastards. Oh, fuck yeah. Mate, so now so I've got good. the rolling mill. So yeah, I've got the rolling mill coming, and that, that just means I've had a lot of people ask when I'm on my classes, not necessarily to do Damascus courses, but um, is there an option to, you know, for me to sell them a piece of Damascus um, to do it? At the moment, it's like the answer, the answer up until I get that rolling mill has been, well, unfortunately not. It still takes me too much time to make it to be viable, but get that rolling mill and just get that fucking like that process down a little bit quicker. Um, and then I can offer, you know, I can either offer like a one-on-one class to make some forge welded steel, or I can offer it as a, um, addition to a class or better yet. I can just fucking use it myself. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the biggest rolling mills I ever saw were the ones at Darmastur where they used to, to make their Damascus, which were pretty incredible. Oh. Yeah, massive yeah. fucking things. Just go and jump on and follow Damasteel on Instagram and get to see uh, their processes. It's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, um, we're going to have to wrap things up. We've all got shit to do. We've been blabbing for a while. Um, thanks again, fellas, for, for your time. And ladies, um, and, and send us the design. If you have any design for the Knife Making Down Under podcast t-shirt, please send us what you have in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Be a yeah, part of absolutely. this journey. All all free designs, gratefully accepted. Yeah. yeah. Free licensing, that's the caveat. Yeah, and you, um, get, and you get a shirt and we'll say thank you. Yes, Terms and definitely. conditions apply. Thanks for agreeing. Yeah. <laughs> the five print. <laughs> anyway, no worries, right guys. On. Have a good one. All right, Thanks talk for to you listening. Later. See you guys. Bye. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Subscribe, all that shit. Yeah, do all that.